Good morning to you all. It's uh, great to see you here this morning. I'm going to read some words from the book of Job to begin. From chapter 26. God spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. By his power he churned up the sea. By his wisdom he cut Rahab to pieces. By his breath the skies became fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent. And these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? Let's praise our God together. The care news, which Rosie's prepared. We are pleased that after a lot of false starts, Gladys is finally home. She is struggling and will be delighted to see people and any offers of help will be appreciated. Gladys might come, manage to come to lunch today, Rosie writes, but I guess with the snow that might be less likely. Mary's had a much better week and it's lovely to see her with us. Yes, you are there, Mary. It's good to see you. And we pray that your progress will continue. We pray also for the families where new babies are expected, that God will be close to the parents as he brings about his miracle of new birth. Uh, also mention that this is Ortilia's last Sunday with us. So it's, uh, it's been great to have you with us and we hope you have a good trip. We don't have any other specific news but please remember in your prayers all those who suffer with health or other problems. As many of us enjoy Christmas, sorry, family times at Christmas, please make contact with those who may find this a very lonely time. Please pray also for all those of our family who are not with us today for whatever reason. May we truly show God's love to them in our actions. Um, does anybody have anything else that they'd like me to mention in prayer? Dear Lord, we thank you that, that we can come to you in prayer, that you are our Father. Although you, you control the whole world and everything that goes on, you too care for us as individuals. And you care for the people that we care about. And we bring people before you now to remember, to remember for us and to pray that you will be close to them and, and give them what they need. We particularly pray for Gladys, who's just come home from hospital. We pray that you will heal her, make her better, and that we will be able to help her um, in practical ways that she needs, and give her encouragement so that she might feel strong. We pray for uh, Simon's brother and his wife, Martin and Tracy, as they've gone to the Cameroon. We pray that you will bless them as they travel and that they will be a blessing out there at the home and that they will they will share your love with the children there and that they too will benefit from that time. Lord, we pray for, for the many people who we've not mentioned today. We pray that you will be close to the people who are close to our hearts and that we will be able to help them and show your love.
And we pray too for uh, the leaders of this world, leaders that you've set in place who this week have uh, not really solved anything in, in relation to climate change. Lord, we pray that you will, you will guide the leaders of this world to, to look after this world in the way that, that we know is right and that the way that you want it to be looked after. And most of all, Lord, we pray for the return of your son. At this time of year when we remember um, his birth, we pray now earnestly for his return to solve all the problems that this world has, all the problems that individuals have, that we might share in your glory when he returns. We ask this in his name. Amen. Now we're going to sing now together. This uh, song picks up on the, the sort of things that we think about in our pastoral prayer. The fact that we can rely on our Lord to help us as we struggle with things. And it also, I think, will be picking up a little bit on what Charles is going to be talking about later of uh, keeping our focus on Jesus when times get tough. So let's sing together 165 from Praise the Lord. I'm going to take uh, a reading from Job, chapter 27, which is the uh, reading for the day according to the planner, uh, but Charles is also going to be referring to it. And this chapter continues from the words that I read at the very start. So Becky Gaston is going to read this for us. Job, chapter 27. Job, chapter 27. And Job continued his discourse. As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty, who has made me taste bitterness of soul, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, and my tongue will utter no deceit. I will never admit you are in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my righteousness and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. May my enemies be like the wicked, my adversaries like the unjust. For what hope has the godless when he is cut off, when God takes away his life? Does God listen to his cry when distress comes upon him? Will he find delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? I will teach you about the power of God, the ways of the Almighty I will not conceal. You have all seen this yourselves. Why then this meaningless talk? Here is the fate God allots to the wicked, the heritage a ruthless man receives from the, from the Almighty. However many his children, their fate is the sword. His offspring will never have enough to eat. The plague will bury those who survive him, and their widows will not weep for them. Though he heaps up silver like dust and clothes like piles of clay, what he lays up, for, up the righteous will wear, and the innocent will divide his silver. The house he builds is like a mosque cocoon, like a hut made by a watchman. He lies down wealthy, but will do so no more. When he opens his eyes, all is gone. Terror overtakes him like a flood. A tempest snatches him away in the night. The east wind carries him off, and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls it 
itself against him without mercy as he flees headlong from its power. It claps its hands in derision and hisses him out of his place. Thank you. So uh, we now invite Charles to come speak to us. Morning, everybody. Uh, before I go any further, I have to admit that um, the main idea for this morning's exhortation comes from a book um, called John's Creation um, by a brother, John Popel. It's an excellent book, and I thoroughly recommend it, except no one here on any account should buy a copy. I have another six exhortations to plunder from its pages. I don't want to spoil, please. So we're going to be looking, again, most of our ideas from uh, John chapter 6. Um, but just a, a general comment about the Gospel of John, um, which I think we're all kind of aware of, aware of, but it's worth spelling out from the, from the beginning. When, you come, when it comes to the Gospel of John, you soon realise that every single word is significant. In, even the ones which sound um, completely out of place, every single word is there for, for a reason. And John takes really simple words and he builds them up as the gospel goes on so that they, they gather meaning. And um, there's an analogy which, which Mike Hardy used, which is, I think is very useful. And he talks about John using words a bit like, um, we use the word pound, okay? We use the word pound, it just means a little kind of gold nugget worth 100, 100 pence in our pocket. Whereas to an economist, the word pound means so much more. It represents a whole load of ideas that have, have been built onto that just simple word of, of a pound. And John does the same things with, with simple words. He takes simple words and loads up on the meaning and so that they, they gather significance. Just to give you one uh, example, if you just open it, said John chapter 1. Uh, John chapter 1 and verse 37. We have um, given the, the short amount of time, short amount of space which John has to record his gospel. What seems at first to be a ridiculous question to include. John chapter 1 and verse 37 it says, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And you think, what a ridiculous question. You've got, you've got just a short amount of time to record the whole works of Jesus. And you ask a disciple saying, where are you staying? What a ridiculous question. Except as the whole gospel goes on, that word of um, staying, abide, dwell, is developed throughout the gospel to um, have amazing meaning of, of God and Jesus living in us. And that's the way John seems to work. So as we go through the, um, this exhortation this morning, we're going to be spiritualizing quite simple ideas. And I think we're supposed to do that when we come to, re to read John. So with that in mind, let's go to John chapter 6, which we're going to be looking at, and see if we can see the spiritual picture that's been painted here. So John chapter 6 and verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him, because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. So here we have Jesus crossing the sea, and people following him to be with them. It must have been an incredible sight. Thousands of people from all around the area gathering to this place um, to be with Jesus. And 
And being a natural skeptic, I think, well, why were they there? What, what were their reasons for being there? And I'm sure there was a, a whole host of different reasons for people to be there. I'm sure they had varying levels of commitment. Some were just there for the show. Some of them really wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. But the point is that a group of people have crossed the water to be with Jesus. And I think we can spiritualise that because we have crossed the water to be with Jesus. We have been baptised. The water here, I think, can represent our baptism. And we've gone through it to be with Jesus, to sit down on the mountainside with him. We've heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. And we followed him. We want, we want to be there where the gentle breeze comes off the sea and we listen to the words of our Lord to spend our lives with him. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. That's what it's all about, I think, that picture of being on the mountainside, by being fed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to verse 10. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. <coughs> and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all, when they had, all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And they say that there's no such thing as a free lunch. We get so, so used to, to the good things in life costing, um, and, but this is so different. I don't know if you heard about the, the guy in America who um, went to a local shop to buy some lunch and he put it on his card. And when he got home a few weeks or so later, um, his statement came through. And he'd been charged for his sandwich and drink and a packet of crisps, 23 quadrillion dollars. <laughs> That's 23 million billion dollars on his bank statement. <laughs> the bank were quite understanding and decided to waive the $15 overdraft fee on this occasion. <laughs> but with, with Jesus, things are so different. He gives us things which are, are worth so much and he give us, gives us them for free, no charge at all. And this, as, as we said at the beginning, the small details of John are so important. Do you notice what uh, he said in, in verse, it says in verse 10? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. There was plenty of space. Even though there were thousands of people coming to Jesus, there was still plenty of room. Spiritualize that. There's plenty of room with our Lord Jesus Christ for all of us. It's not an elite club where, where only a few people can get through. It's a place where there's plenty of room for everybody. And what a privilege those people had to be on that mountainside, to listen to the Lord Jesus' words and to, to hear what he had to say. And the spiritual counterpart for us is quite obvious, but it is spelt out um, in the rest of this chapter. If you go to verse 33, Jesus spells out, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. 
So the spiritual, spiritual parallel which we're trying to understand in this, this simple picture is that coming to be fed by Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000, is not just about bread and fishes. It's much more, much deeper than that. It's a spiritual feeding um, that we're coming to. And there's two important lessons for us to take from, from this. The first is in verse 11. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. Now, sometimes we think about that um, um, greed is a bad thing. <laughs> I suppose in, in general terms it is a bad thing. Um, but this is not just talking about they, they just had enough to just about get them through the day, I think. I think this is talking about an abundance of food, more than enough. Even an appetite like Sam's could be, <laughs> be quenched by these, by this, this bread and, and this fishes. And the spiritual, spiritual message is, is powerful for us that there is, there is more than enough to quench our spiritual appetites. And we won't go hungry if we genuinely um, feed from our Lord Jesus Christ. And the second is a kind of a warning. Um, in verse 12 it says, When they had all had enough to eat... He says to disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. Now that's, that's a, a challenge, I think. Let nothing be wasted. Don't let anything that Jesus gives us fall to the ground and be left there. We can be tempted to be picky, can't we, um, with, our, with our physical food. And we can be tempted to be picky with our spiritual food. We had a dog called Nasha, and uh, sometimes if you finished all, all the leftovers from, from a meal, he used to get them onto a plate and, and scrape them into his bowl. And he had an amazing ability to um, remove all the meat and all the gravy from this pile of food and leave pristine the vegetables. <laughs> Incredible ability, and they, they just appeared on his, on his bowl, a bit like those, those bags you get at the soup, to supermarket, washed and ready to eat. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Absolutely pristine, like they'd, they'd not been touched, and he'd removed all the bits he wanted from, from this pile of food and left behind bits which he didn't want. And we can do the same thing, can't we? Or you can think of the, the child who gets one of those yogurts with fruity bits in it, and it man, the child manages to pick all the, f the chunks of fruit out and just have, have the yogurty bit. All this kind of dissecting things, the th bits we like and the bits that we don't like. We can, we can be tempted to do that on a physical level and definitely on a spiritual level. Sometimes um, we miss things out by accident, just, we just overlook them. There was an embarrassment in the European Union a couple of years back when they, they put together a publication. And on this publication, they, they had a map of all the EU countries, um, but they missed off Wales. The Irish Sea crashed into, into England, and they say that the EU doesn't do anything for us, but I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think Becky and Kate are going to kill me now. <laughs> or we can do things very deliberately. In East, Eastern Germany, they used to print their maps with the crease of the map running straight down Western Germany, so it disappeared into the fold. However, we miss things out sometimes, whether by accident or, 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 or deliberately. We have to learn not to do it. We have to learn to take the whole of what Jesus has to offer us, not let anything fall to the ground. And don't leave it behind either. Don't take the food from Jesus and just leave it on the ground and go home at the end of the day. Don't walk through the doors at the end of the service and not allow Jesus to sustain us through the rest of the week. In verse 15, things change a little bit and there's a separation. 
verse 15, Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him a king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So here the picture changes and Jesus has left the disciples. Jesus has ascended up the mountain and left his disciples behind. And again, the spiritual parallel, I think, is there for us to take. Our Lord has ascended and physically he's not with us anymore. So we can focus on how the disciples respond. Do they wait for his return? Do they watch? Do they pray? Do they keep vigil? Verse 16. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, and where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. This is very ominous. If we're right to see this, 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 um, this short passage in spiritual terms, if we're right to take it out of its physical context and apply it to our lives, then this is very ominous. Because what this represents is the disciples leaving Jesus and going back on their baptism, crossing back over the lake and going back on where they'd, where, to where they'd come from. And if we're right to understand it in this sense, we can expect things to go a little bit badly. And indeed, they do. Verse 18, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. They turned back on their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and the waters grew rough. Now, it's tempting to make this a little bit simple and, simple and say, well, if we're with Jesus, then things will go well. If, we're, if we turn our back on Jesus, things, then things will go badly. And of course, that is, is not um, an accurate way of seeing things. It's not the truth of our lives, is it? We're, we're with, we can be with Jesus and still face um, ordeals and trials in our lives. But on the bigger scale, the bigger context, it's absolutely true that if we do turn our back on Jesus, then our lives will grow dark then our lives will spiritually become stormy. Apart from Jesus, we are lost. We have no hope in this world. We're alone in the storm. And how many of us have travelled back across that lake? 10%? 50%? How many of us are in danger of going back across the lake this week? How many of us spend our lives going backwards and forwards across the lake? I think to some degree, we've probably all, all been there and done that. Uh, this, it's at this point, I'd like to mention Job that, we, that uh, Becky read for us. If you go to Job chapter 27, I'm not going to go into all the kind of argument that's going on here, but, uh, but basically Job's comforters are trying to persuade him that everything that's happened to him is, is his own fault. He must have done something dreadful for God to punish him in this way. Um, but even though Job doesn't necessarily understand why these things have happened to him, what comes across so powerfully in, in the example of Job is that whatever happens, he knows that the only place for him to be is with God. That's the only place where he can stand. And so uh, we read in verse 3, As long as I have life within me and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness and my tongue will utter no deceit. I will never admit you're in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my righteousness and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. May my enemies be like the wicked, my adversaries like the unjust. For what hope has the godless when he is cut off, when God takes away his life? Does God listen to his cry 
when the distress comes upon him? Will he find delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? I will teach you about the power of God, the ways of the Almighty I will not conceal. I think Job's such a, a great example to us, isn't he? That above all, he knows that the only place for him to be is with God. If, he's, if, he, if, he, if he separates himself from God, all else is, is gone. It's all, it's all worthless. He has to, whatever happens, he has to stick with God. And that's the message um, that he, he gives there to, to his, his so-called comforters. He was a great example of steadfastness, wasn't he? Steadfastness is not the same as stubbornness. Um, stubbornness and, and st- is negative, steadfastness is positive. Steadfastness is all about willpower, whereas stubbornness is all about won't power. Two different things, and, and Job was a great example of being steadfast in his faith. So we go back to John and see what happens next. John chapter 6 and verse 19. When they had rowed, Three or three and a half miles. Now that's an interesting figure because the Sea of Galilee is about seven miles wide. So three and a half miles is slap bang right in the middle of the lake. Right in the middle of the lake, completely lost in the middle of the storm, as far away from any of the shores as you could possibly be. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they, where they were heading. What a friend we have in Jesus. Sometimes we do turn our back on, on the Lord Jesus Christ, but he doesn't turn his back on us. In fact, he comes back to find us. He, he travels through the storm to find us in that stupid position, lost in the middle of the lake, and he comes to, to take us back home. And when we're willing, I think that's an important, important aspect, when we're willing, he comes on board and takes us home. He never leaves us or forsakes us, even though we can do stupid things ourselves. So the picture of John that John paints is one of reassurance, I think. One of trust in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, a desire to be with him at all times, but for the times when we do forsake him, to trust and, and, be, and be reassured that Jesus will come back and find us. And the, so the exhortation is twofold. Number one, make sure we stay with Jesus. Don't leave him behind or go back across the lake. But number two, if we do find ourselves in that situation, be sure of one thing. He's coming to get us. Don't be afraid. You might think... Um, I'm reading too much into this passage in, in, in trying to spiritualise it so so much. And I know uh, some people kind of uh, kind of lose the, lose the thread of it sometimes when, when we when we do this kind of exercise. But I think it's really important. I think John does encourage us um, to do these things. And what I find is fascinating is that through the rest of the chapter, the rest of John six, um, John actually expands this image, the imagery that we've been taking out of this this opening section. We've already read how um, Jesus goes on to talk about the bread in spiritual terms, that Jesus himself is the bread of life. Um, But look what happens um, in the way people respond to that message. In verse uh, 57 of John chapter 6, Jesus says, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. But on hearing this, many of the disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Verse 66. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So this very same picture that we saw painted out physically in the feeding of the 5,000 people coming to feed from Jesus, but then when things grew dark, turning back on him, is, is played out through the rest of the chapter. It's amplified by John. It's this, the same process where he, he takes simple ideas and builds them and builds them and builds them and to, to take this message. But here's the key point and, and the punchline for us. In verse 67, Jesus said, You do not want to leave me too, do you? He asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise and all thy day be bright. I looked to Jesus and I found in him my star, my sun, and in that light of life I'll walk till travelling days are done. Thank you, Charles. Our focus must be on Jesus. There is no one else to look to, nowhere else to go. He is uh, our saviour. And we remember him now in bread and wine, the Lamb of God. And we're going to sing together, All hail the Lamb, enthroned on high. His praise shall be our battle cry. He reigns victorious, forever glorious. His name is Jesus. He is the Lord. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Tony's going to offer our prayer for the bread. Dear Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time which we can share now, sharing fellowship with you and the Lord Jesus Christ and with each other. And we thank you, Lord, for this bread. A reminder to us of the sacrifice that you made in the giving of your son. The sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ gave in the giving up of his life to serve you, to demonstrate his love for us also. And Lord, we thank you for your teaching that we have been reminded of this morning that how that we only need to come to you to be fed to be empowered and to be lifted up and even Lord when we stray to know that you will come to look for us to bring us back to you and so Lord now as we as we think on these things, we offer you our thanks. And we pray, Lord, for the forgiveness of the sin 
that we may have committed. And we pray, Lord, with all our hearts that you will help us to accept that forgiveness and to put that sin behind us and that we may turn back to you and live with you. Amen. Derek's going to offer our prayer for the bread. Our wonderful, loving, Heavenly Father, on this special day where we remember how privileged we are as your family to remember the birth of your wonderful Son, Jesus. How we are specially blessed to understand your will and purpose and your love in giving Jesus to show us the way, to prepare the way for that wonderful time when he will return to bring about your wonderful will and purpose on this earth to make it a place of peace, a place where sickness And even death will be eliminated, Heavenly Father. What a wonderful hope we have. What a great blessing we have. We should be so, so encouraged to know that we have been called out from that world of, of sin and death. The wonderful hope of life everlasting with Jesus. We are reminded how Job was so full of faith despite his terrible, terrible suffering sufferings that no one could possibly get through and not say as he why advise him to to deny God and die but we've been given this wonderful word of yours Heavenly Father to encourage us in our lives and we've been given the example of Jesus in his death and in his resurrection to be reminded day by day and week by week to remember what a wonderful blessing it is to have Jesus in our lives as we've been reminded this morning we must not look back we must not cross water we must look forward and to be thankful as we now thank you for this wine that does remind us of the incredible trials that Jesus had but he went through them on our behalf so Heavenly Father we give you thanks for this wine now and we take it to us on this special day full of gratitude full of thankfulness and we do pray that the world will be changed and that very, very soon. And we pray and long for Jesus' return. We offer our prayer and give you our thanks in everything we have. True, true blessing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Charles has reminded us that... Um, we must stay close to our Lord. 
I'm going to read uh, a few verses from Isaiah, which pick up on, on what God does for us. And it also talks of God being a shelter from the storm, which I thought linked in nicely with the chapter in John that we've read. Isaiah chapter 25 in the first nine verses. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done marvellous things, things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore strong peoples will honour you, cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud so the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. We're going to sing the hymn that Charles referred to uh, to finish, hymn 330. I'd like, as a voluntary, that one, 194. Which is a bit Christmassy, because it's nice to have something a bit Christmassy. So we're going to sing, I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. And then we might have Pete playing the voluntary. Oh, 194 is, uh, it came upon a midnight clear. And I'd, li- I'd like that as a voluntary, because it talks in the second verse about um, the woes of sin and strife. And it has the fantastic phrase, oh hush the noise ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. And I think... Um, what we've been thinking about today and what we've just read there, the idea of us um, keeping quiet and focusing on God um, is, is a really good one. Loving Father, Holy God, thank you that you have everything under control. Thank you that You are incredibly mighty and powerful to bring the seasons that we need when we need them. And thank you, Lord, that you are also so close to us, so intimate and personal, that you are passionate about us, that you want a passionate love relationship with us as individuals. Our Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came 
and said that he was the way and the truth and the life and that no one can come to you except through him and that that's not a statement of exclusivity Lord but the biggest invitation that you've ever given anyone the invitation that whoever you are wherever you come from whatever your background we can come to you in Jesus and Lord I pray that you will help us to be open (coughs) open to you to your spirit at work in us and that we won't waste our energy striving for perishable food but that we'll work for food that, that sticks with us food that nourishes us food that gives us everlasting life food that Jesus has provided for us in being part of him because we know, Lord, that that what Jesus did is guaranteed to last. That the promise you make through him is guaranteed. Lord, I pray that our time together this morning will have encouraged us and inspired us and equipped us to to go out into another week where we can proclaim your kingdom where we can further the work of your kingdom on earth now while we wait for Christ to return Lord thank you thank you for being with us this morning and we ask this prayer in the strong resurrected name of our Lord Jesus Amen